everyone. Welcome to Digital Nomad Mastery, the podcast and a video cast where we teach you how to make money, how to see the world, and how to make a difference. Uh, so I'm super excited to invite up our guest here today. One of the things I love to do is interview fellow dads, fellow entrepreneurs, and fellow passionate expats and travelers. And I have one on the show here today. His name is Luke Mackin. And Luke is the founder of Wild Sumatra. That is right, Sumatra, um, big island in Indonesia. And he's very focused on um, a certain area of Sumatra in, in Indonesia. Uh, so Luke's going to be talking all about tourism in um, Indonesia generally, but specifically in Sumatra. And um, I'm super excited because I've been to Sumatra about 10 years ago, but I, I briefly uh, went uh, from uh, Malaysia, Singapore, and then uh, took a ferry over to Sumatra. Then I made my way down to Java, then Bali, Lombok, Sulawesi, then into West Timor, East Timor, and then into Australia. So I've had a little glimpse of Sumatra, but I'm super excited because I'd love to return and explore Sumatra in much more uh, thoroughness. So I'm super excited to get Luke's insights into travel into Sumatra. So Luke's joining us from Sumatra. He's from America, born here in Manila, and now living as an expat in Indonesia. Luke, how are you doing today, my friend? Good. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being on, Luke. Um, so one of the things we like to do on a show is to get to know people's stories. So you've had an amazing story, uh, being born in the Philippines, uh, being raised in America, and now living as a dad of three young kids and a, a running your own tour company in Indonesia. So tell us about the story. Tell us about the story about Philippines to America and now to Indonesia. Yeah, so I was born in the Philippines. I was actually raised in the Philippines too until I was uh, 16, I lived in the Philippines. And then moved back or moved to the States. It wasn't really back to the States for me um, for the last three years of high school, university, and then worked for about five years, always with the goal of like moving back to Southeast Asia. And yeah, in 2010, we moved back to move to Indonesia um, with a four month old and um, my wife. Yeah. So uh, when you were living in the US, I, I'm curious, like what made you want to go, uh, so to speak, back to Asia and to Indonesia? What was going through your mind? What was going on with the conversations with your wife? Like, tell us about why did you actually choose Indonesia to settle? I just, I don't know. I, I think I just feel more comfortable in Southeast Asia. Um, just growing up, growing up here, it just feels like, feels like home more um, than the States and in the large part. I mean, really nowhere really feels like home. I think that's the, the play of third culture kids or whatever. But um, yeah, it felt like I um, really want to do something with conservation. Um, and it seemed like there's a lot that that could be done in Sumatra specifically you know it's the only island that still has tigers on in Indonesia um, two previous species are extinct so um, yeah it seemed like Sumatra could be a good fit um, for us okay so walk us through the logistics we uh, one of the things I like to do is uh, interview expats and you know to find their stories about one thing you have an idea whole other ball game to pack the bags, move to a different country, especially when yeah. you're talking about life and a little one, uh, four month old. So walk us through those logistics. Like, uh, uh, did you have friends in that area? Um, how did you choose that area? How did you like actually pack up and leave? Tell us about the logistical preparation and also the mindset preparation. Man, I feel like I think back on that time, like, man, we were nuts. Like, how did we do that? We were so naive. 
Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Uh, yeah, so we we weren't sure 100% where we wanted to, to move to. Um, so we took like survey trips out to, to check different areas. Um, this area, Carinchy, uh, the Carinchy Valley, um, it actually has the largest national park on Sumatra. And I think like the second or third largest national park in all the Southeast Asia. It's, it's almost 14,000 square kilometers. It has the most tigers, um, I think in any national park uh, outside of India. Um, and the highest volcano and like all this, all this amazing landscape and rainforest, but there's really almost zero tourism going on. Um, and, and I think the Crinchy Valley is unique in that it's, it's within a national park. It's like, it's like a donut hole within this national park. Um, so all the mountains surrounding us are, are the national park. So you have this like growing population in this valley um, that's, you know, agricultural base, um, but there's nowhere really to expand to. So, so the problems of deforestation or, you know, poaching and stuff is just constant threat. Um, whereas in, in North Sumatra, most of the tourism to Sumatra goes to North Sumatra, to the Mulufur National Park, Bugulawang, um, some around Danau Toba. Um, so it seemed like there's already tons of stuff going on up there, but in Karinchi, even though it's a bigger park, there's more tigers, there's nothing, there's not really hardly anything. Um, so yeah, after some survey trips, it seemed like, wait, yeah, maybe we could do something here um, to help support. Um, and then it was like another year of planning and um, you know raising funds and, and stuff like that before we just packed up and moved. And, and no, we're, we didn't have any, I mean, we made some connections on that survey trip. Um, so they helped us find like a homestay for our first three months because we don't know the language, we don't know the area, the culture and stuff. So I, we felt like it was really important to, to live with local families um, while we you know, also look for a house, a long-term house to rent and stuff like that. And yeah, so we did that. When we moved over, we had a four month old. Um, you know, everything we own and, and a couple suitcases. So sold everything in the States, um, except our house, which we were able to rent out, which really helps with funding um, a lot. Because at first, like pretty much for the first couple of years, all, all I did was focus on language and making connections with local guides um, and local communities. Because um, I didn't want to like come in like this uh, you know, like I know what I'm doing, foreigner, you know, and I'm gonna tell you guys. So it was really important to to learn the culture, make those relationships before before acting. Um, yeah, so so after some time, you know, and then eventually have enough knowledge and everything and every to start building a website um, with with tours and, and about the area and stuff like that. So could try to to work from a place of a little bit more knowledge than just come in, flash in the pan, and then like burn out real fast or, or be rejected by the people, you know, here and stuff like that. So, so yeah, it's a long-term process. Um, it's not like a quick thing and, and language always, you know, that, that just takes so long, even though Indonesia is supposed, Indonesian is supposedly one of the easier languages to learn, but any language, it's just all the vocabulary, just everything just takes time. Um, yeah. So, it's about two or three years before we started being more active. 
and 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 then it's about building capacity and stuff with the guides because when we started like pretty much zero english um or or experience you know guiding so it's like slowly building capacity as more tourists come um we're seeing you know guide porters become guides and train others and so it's like slowly growing but it's still there's still so much room for for growth and um capacity that needs to be built for sure but but it seems like it's it's going all right Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing, Luke. So before we get in the company, I want to hear about the eight years of you, your wife, and now three kids living as expats, uh, as foreigners in Indonesia. And, um, you know, obviously integrating yourself yeah. into the culture, learning the language, uh, raising your kids there as uh, mom and son dad there, uh, finding a community, finding other families to um, uh, and kids for the kids to play with. How has that been? Uh, you know, as a fellow dad, I'm always curious how that is like uh, as a dad of three kids in Indonesia. Tell us about that process. You, uh, your wife's given birth twice, uh, you know, and then your yeah. three kids were being raised there. Tell us about that. How does that look like? Yeah, within the first three years, we had two other kids. So we had, had a, there was a time where we had three kids under three years old. <laughs> so it's a little crazy. Um, but yeah, we are the only foreigners here. Um, there there there's a tiger, British tiger conservationist that's been here for like 25 years, um, although she's away right now. But other than that, it's, it's just, we're the only family for sure. Um, so yeah, just it's so important to make friends with locals. Um, I think for our kids, it's a lot harder um, because like, you know, they always say like, oh, kids learn so fast and stuff like that. But when you're in such a rural place, um, the, like anytime we go out of the house, it's just so much attention so that they get really shy and they're kind of shy anyway. So, so it's a little overwhelming, um, outside of our neighborhood with our neighborhood kids. It, it's, it's great. They, as, as long as, you know, it takes time for the neighborhood kids not to look at you like you're a freak show. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but for the most part, um, yeah. Now it's great. They can play with the neighborhood kids and stuff, but outside of the house, it's a, it's a lot of attention. They get kind of shy. Um, so that, that is a, a little, for me, it's no problem. Like I'll take million selfies or whatever. That, that's okay. I'm like an ambassador, I guess, or something, but um, it is overwhelming when you're three years old and you know, some old ladies coming up and pinching your cheeks and it gets a little too much for them. <laughs> But for the babies, we moved. We didn't have the babies here. Um, we moved to the city of Bandung on Java um, because the healthcare is much better. And because we had to quickly do a ton of stuff at the embassy and the immigration office in Jakarta. So, so doing it from here would have been logistically hard. Um, my wife also had C-sections, emergency c -section. So it just seemed like better, better not to try here. Um, it's, it's, unfair how poor the healthcare is um, in, in rural areas. So Luca, when did you first have the idea to start this tour company? Um, tell us a little bit about the origin story there. Uh, when did you actually launch the company? And tell us about those early years of growth. Like how was it like, you know, every entrepreneur is gonna struggle to some degree. How was it like for you? Yeah, man, I don't know when the first, idea was um years ago pro i mean probably even before we were married or you know that was one of the reasons we were 
like we share this common idea to go overseas and and do some kind of conservation or humanitarian type work um community development stuff so that was one of the reasons that we so we always had this kind of goal um i think it crystallized more as, as the years went on um and even even now like it's not just tourism sometimes i like i helped open a local english school um, i have a background in, in english teaching so i helped train teachers and write curriculum and stuff like that here um, we've also helped with coffee make some connections with coffee um, some farmers and more direct connections with with people in the states um, and elsewhere so but the focus has been the tourism company but really anything that will help conservation and help um, local economies of really a marginalized place there's only three roads in and out of this whole valley 400,000 people in this valley it stretches north to south it takes about three hours to drive it um, I think if there are better roads it would be faster but so but it's really an isolated place only three roads in and out so anything that we can do to kind of support local economies and, and the conservation um, yeah we'll, we'll try it we'll try it out <laughs> So in terms of the company, like, tell us about the tours. You offer several different types of tours. Walk us through the, the main ones. What are your most popular ones? Probably climbing Mount Kerinci is maybe half go to that. And that Mount Kerinci is the highest volcano in Southeast Asia, uh, 3,805 meters. Um, it's actually the highest volcano outside of Iran and Kamchatka in, in Russia. So it's, it's quite a tall volcano. Um, so people come to climb that, and then we just have some basic jungle tour, uh, jungle treks, like multi-day. A lot of people want to see tigers. Um, so we have this one trek that's five days, and it goes into some pretty good tiger habitat. Um, so almost half go to that. And then we have like a smattering of other ones, just like village cultural tours or, or other volcanoes, other mountains. Um, there's Mount Tuju is, is also gorgeous. It's this extinct volcano, but there's this giant crater lake up there. So when you climb up 2,000 meters, and then there's this crater lake, and there's just rainforest all around it, and clouds flowing over it, it's really a beautiful place. Um, it's probably maybe my favorite place, um, but really just anywhere just in the forest, just sitting in the forest is just magical to me. Um, yeah, so people come here for jungle trekking mostly. Cool. So you're, you're mentioning the volcano, you're mentioning the tiger tours, the village tours, the culinary experiences. So uh, obviously tigers, one of the big draw, tigers are one of the big yeah. uh, draw cards there. Uh, so how does that work? Because tigers aren't the friendliest of cats. They can rip you apart quite easily. Yeah. So how do you keep it safe and secure? How do you ensure that you see them? What's the probability of you seeing them on a tour? Is it like 50-50 or 89-99%? Walk us through those logistics of seeing tigers in the wild. Well, it's not like India where you can go and like be in a safari and you can kind of like see far. Yeah. Here, like the forest is very close in. You can't see very far into it. So the chance of you actually seeing a tiger is almost zero. Um, you're in tiger habitat. You know, there's a fair chance on certain treks that you'll see tiger pug marks or scratches or um, we've had a number of guests here like um, tiger's alm which is kind of like the sound that tigers make when they're making a sound, but not like a attacking sound. Um, we've had that a number of times um, this year, um, but sighting a tiger is extremely difficult. I think only three or four times has, has 
have you been has anyone been lucky enough to actually get a, a, a sighting of it um yeah so it's pretty uncommon unfortunately although okay so today to stay safe well i mean there's really no guarantee you know this is a wild place there's other wild animals as well um but we always send three people into the forest at least one guide and a porter um there's local wisdom that says one person goes into the forest then that person is lost two people go into the forest then news of what happened comes out but if three people go into the forest three people come out safely um tigers don't don't very rarely do tigers actually want to attack people it's it's not their normal prey um so um it would only be because they're old or sick or or some other kind of weird problem but it's extremely uncommon um they they'll actually probably like the tiger conservationist um she says like there's a fair chance if you're going into deep forest the tiger will see you because they're curious like cats but you won't see it um but it'll kind of like smell your fire when you're at camping or words you know hear your noise and they'll like kind of like watch you supposedly um but they won't they're not interested in us in general but don't go alone that's, that's a bad idea <laughs> well it sounds like any cats you know most cats are zero interested in us humans they yeah they want the food and they might want the occasional uh, uh you know pat on the back but tigers uh, obviously yeah. whole different uh, type of animal type. yeah um so um, you have these tiger tours into the, the jungle, the jungle wildlife kind of tours. What are the other uh, wildlife you can have a greater chance of seeing? Because you're saying it's pretty much next to none. Yeah. You will see a tiger. Um, what are the other wildlife you are pretty much guaranteed to see or have a high probability of seeing? I think primates, primates and um, birds, because they're higher up in the canopy, so you can see a little yeah. bit farther. So we have Simon gibbons um, are pretty common to see and um among a uh, langer a leaf monkey called uh, sumatran cerilli or yellow-handed mitered langer it's kind of a mouthful that one um and then there's a couple of macaques um also like the pigtailed macaque and the long-tailed macaque um, those are more common to see although i rarely see long-tailed macaques actually those are the ones like all over bali and most touristy places i think our elevation is a little bit too high um, for those. It's mostly the langers and uh, gibbons that we see much more commonly. And yeah, a whole bunch of different birds. And then there's also like things like um, flying squirrels and flugo and uh, flying foxes and all sorts of different things. We've had other sightings of things like deer, wild boar, um, sun bear. Um, yeah, there, there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of different wildlife out there. <laughs> Awesome. Um, so you mentioned uh, one of the reasons people come out uh, there is to climb Mount Kerinci, which is uh, the highest volcano in all of Southeast Asia. A little yeah. further for your next uh, party. Uh, so tell us about that trek. Uh, what kind of fitness do you need? What kind of equipment? What kind of preparation? How long does it take? Um, tell us about the, that trek. It's a tough trek. I mean, because there's not switchbacks here. So it's basically just going like straight up. Um, so you should be pretty fit uh, to, to climb it. Um, it takes about two days. Most people go up, up to about 3,300 meters and camp. And then early the next morning before sunrise, make the, the rest of the way to the top at sunrise. So, uh, and then you come down that same day. 
but yeah, everyone, everyone is sore afterwards <laughs> and you should be prepared. I mean, it's a rainforest. So I always tell people, people ask like, Oh, what's the best time of year to come? Um, you just have to be prepared for rain year round. So it doesn't matter. There, especially in our part of Sumatra, I think Sumatra in general, but especially our part, we're kind of like in the center. So there's different weather patterns in the North and South. And I feel like it's never consistent here. Um, dry season, there's like periods of rain, wet season, there's periods of dry. There's not really a set season. So just always be prepared for rain in the rainforest. Um, and you should be okay. It gets pretty cold up there too. It, it gets to almost zero degrees um, at, near the summit. So, so yeah, it's not, Kerinci in general is like that. I, there's other parts of Sumatra, Bukit Lawang, a lot of people go to, much lower elevation. Um, so people sometimes like walk in like short sleeves and stuff, but here it's, it's, it's much cooler and it's actually less bugs and stuff. It's very comfortable trekking actually, um, pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah, sounds amazing. Uh, so we've talked about the wildlife jungle tours. We talked about the mountain um, volcano tours, and you do have uh, more of the cultural immersion tours where you're visiting villages, trying out the local food, uh, connecting mm -hmm. with the local people. How do those look like? Yeah, I mean they're very basic. You just stay with a in a local in a small village with local family. Um, you know, you can do things like like planting rice. Um, catching those eels in the rice fields, going to cinnamon farms, uh, cinnamon, you know, seeing how cinnamon is cut and harvested. Um, coffee is now, uh, Arabica coffee is kind of new in Kerinci. So that, that's becoming more popular. So there's a couple of places where you can watch the, the whole coffee process of, you know, fermenting and drying and all, all that stuff. Um, Fishing, there's a big lake called Lake Carinchi and then a bunch of other smaller lakes. So people sometimes will go on little canoes and and go with fishermen. So really there's a lot of a lot of just basic, you know, it's much how much of Indonesia lives. Um, you can kind of experience. And there's not other tourists around. Like you won't see other it's not like Bali where they have these like things set up for tourists. This is not. This is very basic. So you need to be kind of prepared for real life, uh, real life from rural Sumatra, um, if you do one of these. But people seem to have a great time. I, we haven't had any complaints. I think the barrier to get here is so difficult. So it kind of weeds out a lot of the mass tourist crowds that want things more cushy. Well, you called it wild Sumatra for a reason, because it is right. wild, raw, untamed, untouristy. And that's one of the benefits. I mean, uh, you know, yeah. like, they go to the typical touristy places like Bali or, um, you know, Komodo to see those amazing dragons. Uh, uh, but, you know, uh, what's the other one? Borobudur, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, a lot of people say, like, they want authentic whatever, but when it's actually, like, real authentic, <laughs> you know, like, like real, like, squatty potty and, you know, the food is maybe not as great as, you know, that sometimes people have a little hard time with that, but it is, this is real life. This is like real life in a marginalized rural area in Sumatra, but, but it's, it's good eye opening, I think for a lot of people too. Yeah, totally. So you mentioned the food, um, you know, uh, obviously you have the famous Indonesian dishes like nasi goreng. Uh, tell us about, uh, you know, typical Indonesian dishes and also typical Sumatran dishes. And then of mm -hmm. course, typical dishes in the valley there. Yeah, so we're, the Kerinci people is very close with West Sumatra, the Minangkabau people, they're kind of like cousin people. 
So the similar dishes that are that are famous throughout Indonesia, uh, masakan padang, um, like rendang, um, and a lot of different curry gulais, um, jackfruit curry, gulai nangka. So they, these are pretty popular. I, I think rendang, rendang is really good. It's like this slow cooked beef in coconut. Um, and yeah, it, that's, that's one of the best. Have you had rendang before? Of course, of course. I've traveled quite a lot in, uh, you know, like yeah. Malaysia, Indonesia, so I have had it. Well, uh, Malaysian in- rendang is, is quite different, I think. And, you know, Malaysians are always like, oh, no, rendang is from Malaysia, and Indonesians are, like, so mad about that. <laughs> it's like, come on. It's, uh, it's pretty funny. But, yeah, it's quite good. And then there's um, dendeng batoko, which is this, like, grilled strip of beef that's like soft and, and, and quite nice. Some villages, um, this one village has maybe the most unique food I've ever had, um, at least uniquely prepared. They, they have this um, species of um, uh, nepenthes, pitcher plant. Um, you know, pitcher plants, it's like, a, it's like a cup kind of, and like insects go in and die, and then yes. the plant slowly digests it. So, so they harvest this from this nearby wetland um, sustainably, like they'll they'll take it off and then they'll replant and stuff, and then they'll they'll um, use that container, that little cup, to steam rice in it, um, called lemang, which is common throughout um, Malaysia and Indonesia. Lemang, it's like a sweet, sticky rice kind of thing. Um, so yeah, but they'll they'll do that in there, and then they have this like nice sauce called sarikayo, which is uh, like coconut and raw egg and sugar and um, and then, and then they'll also have a black fermented rice. And so all those flavors together, and often a banana. And so like all those flavors together are really quite good. Um, but just like thinking like there were like insects digesting inside this, this rice that I'm eating. Because you'll get it and you'll have to peel off the pitcher plant and then eat the rice inside. So it's quite unique, but, but it's good. You're definitely making us hungry over here. Right. <laughs> so look, how do people get there? Because uh, you mentioned it's quite remote, uh, three highways. Uh, how, what are the options? Like people are probably going to be flying from like North America, Europe, different parts of Asia, uh, you know, around the world. How do they fly in uh, to this area? How do they get around when they're there? Walk us through yeah. the transportation logistics. It's tough. There's not really an easy way to get in here. Um, even though they, they just opened a flight last year that goes from the city of Jambi to Kerinci. But no one goes to Jambi. No tourists go to Jambi. So it's not really helpful for tourists. And then the way the flights line up, it means you have to spend the night in Jambi. Um, so, so, and it's really expensive compared to the other way. So most people come overland from the city of Padang. Some come from the city of Bukatingi. Um, and we help them either arrange like a private car to pick them up or they can take public transport, um, which is like a shared, a shared vehicle, a shared car. Um, but it takes about nine hours to drive in, depending on what part of Karinchi you're coming into. Um, so, so it's quite a long drive. It's a beautiful drive, but it's a lot of winding roads and stuff. So some people get car sick or whatever. Um, yeah, but but it's, it's off the path, <laughs> for sure. So Luca, one of your big passions is uh, the whole area of ecotourism, protecting the environment, providing for the locals, sustainable tourism, et cetera. So tell us about how you've integrated that into your business and tour model. Yeah, well, I think 
just the importance of working with the local community. So it's really community-based. Um, they're in control. Really, my company, like, I am more like I support these local companies. So I help promote what they do. Um, but they're all really independent. So they, they also, like, support, you know, market on their own. Um, but I don't want to be ever viewed as, like, their boss. Like, I want us to be in partnership. Um, they do what they're good at in the forest, um, and I can I can help support them in different ways, you know, and you know different different principles and stuff that they might not be aware of, um, or even just like fads, you know, that sometimes move through. <laughs> I can help help them be more aware of, um, yeah, and then for them also like English is really it's difficult to communicate by email and stuff, but for me, you know, that's a lot obviously a lot more easier. So. So yeah, so they, they focus on what they are good at and, and we work in partnership. So I think being community-based is really important. They can say, no, it's too much or, or we don't like the way this is going and, and it's all totally up to them. I, I don't try to dictate anything to them. Um, and then making sure guides come from the local areas. Uh, it's always, you know, sometimes crazy when you have like a guide from like Bali coming flying here and like helping someone climb Mount Karinchi or something. It's just like, there's no benefit for the local community at all in that area. So when all of our treks, I try to have like someone from the community closest to whatever the trailhead is to be a part of that trek. Um, otherwise, what's the benefit? Um, and just, yeah, providing the jobs that otherwise would go to, you know, clearing forests to make more farmland or, you know, people, a lot of people have to leave the area to find work. Um, and not, so now in some, the, the force has a lot of intrinsic value instead of like, this is something that we're going to exploit. It's like intrinsically valuable as it is, you know, the more animals there are, that's better for tourism. You know, if the trees are still there, it's better for tourism. So, uh, and then we also, we're small scale, so we don't take more than six people on a, on a trek. And even then it's, it's mostly just two people or even solo travelers. Um, rarely is it very big. So we don't want to be bringing too many people in. But then that also means that people pay more. Um, I think too many people, you know, come to Southeast Asia, they would just want to, you know, bargain down to bare bones, pay poverty wages. I don't, I like, I pay our people very well, make sure that uh, my prices are set so that they're paid. Um, what I view is more fair, but even then it feels like it's still so much inequality in the world. It's like not fair at all um, in reality, but um try to try to pay it and i think like you know i can lend some credibility because really there's no reason that um i think trust is such a big thing with tourism especially going so far off the beaten path so so if english is not good or something like that sadly people will be like oh, i don't want to do that like i don't trust this person but having a native english speaker sadly i mean kind of racistly like add some credibility um, so people will be willing to maybe even pay more. And it, it seems to be like that. Um, too bad they don't just pay directly more. Um, I guess that's not really good for my business, but, but I'm not really here for business to make money. Um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately I would like to work myself out of a job. So like I, they can do everything, um, eventually down the line, but we'll, we'll see. I don't know if I answered the question. I'm kind of all over the place. But, um. No, I mean, it's, I mean, yeah, I mean, what, what you're saying is totally on point, Tam, you know, in terms of like providing the livable, uh, sustainable wages, not the poverty wages, uh, protecting the environment and the wildlife. Uh, so, yeah, you're doing an amazing job there, Luke. Oh, I One of say, the questions 
five percent of of the of anything is that is paid, not profit. Five percent growth of everything goes to tiger conservation in the national park. Um, there's there's uh, some tiger teams here run by Fauna Flora International, um, with partnership with the national park. So, so this year we we've raised a fair amount of money um, for that. So that that helps everything I, I think as well. Because yeah, there's no tigers and people don't want to do tourism, and the, yeah, the whole point is to support conservation. So. Awesome, Luke. Um, one of the questions I love to ask my guests is about their vision. Uh, you've been living in Indonesia for the last eight years. What is the vision hope for you? Are you planning to do this long term? Are your kids going to be entering university over there in Indonesia somewhere? Are you planning to go back to the US? Uh, what's the vision for your company? So let's take it like personal, family, and business business vision. Um, yeah, I think just continued growth. Um, you know, there, we're barely scratch the surface of, of what um, can be done here, you know, expanding to different villages. There's a lot of other villages um, and possible treks that, that I would like to see happen that, you know, could definitely benefit the communities um, that don't have this other option. Um, I mean, it's a massive area. So really it's endless, the amount of stuff that, that could be done. But eventually I would, I would like to just work myself out of a job. So like everything, can be taken over by locals completely, and there's enough reputation um, and and skill and um, you know English email writing <laughs> that yeah eventually it would be great if if they could it would just be completely self-sustaining on its own and provide a lot of um, opportunity for for these local communities here so yeah I'd like I'd like to see that down the line um, I don't know how long we'll be here. Um, I don't I feel like it would be hard for the kids to do high school. Right now they're homeschooled. Um, I think especially later years of high school, I think I'd at least want them to have some kind of transition time. So they're like not completely weird when they move back to the States or like go to university or something. So at least maybe a year or two at the end of high school, maybe we would move back at least at least for a time. Um, so they could experience some of their home culture, I guess. Um, I don't know. It's it's down the line, but I, th I think that's probably more realistic than than being able to stay here forever. Um, yeah. Yeah, looking forward to seeing the future ahead. Uh, definitely wishing the best there, especially with your family, but of course with the business as well. Uh, Luke, how can people connect uh, with the company, with yourself? with doing a tour um what are the different ways that people can reach out uh best way is just to the website wildsumatra.com and then click on karinchi um because we kind of network with another guy in benkulu province which is our neighboring province um but i'm i'm in focused like 100 percent in karinchi so so click on click on karinchi and then pick what you want to do and then there's a contact form that you, that you can reach us and of course, you know, Facebook and Instagram and whatnot, you could also reach out, but I think the website's better. There's more information. <laughs> so, yeah. Alrighty. So the website's wildsumatra.com. Yes. Yep. Wildsumatra.com. Love it. I love two word domain names. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty yeah. simple. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, Luke, uh, thank you. Terima kasih. 
for coming on to the show. Sama-sama. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. And have a have a great day in, in Manila. Thanks, Luke. And thanks, everyone, for tuning into this very enlightening, informative, and inspiring interview with Luke, who's living full-time in Indonesia with his wife and three young kids, and, of course, uh, creating an amazing business that's making a difference with the local people. So if you wanted to reach out, connect with Luke, uh, connect with the company, wildsumatra.com, and connect with us as well with daddyblogger.com. And thanks for tuning into this episode. We'll catch up with you in the next one. Happy traveling.